Well, on Sunday, we took sort of a high-level view of Daniel chapter 5, and we looked at it, sort of the telling of the story, and sort of, we already looked at the punchline, if you would, um, but it actually is worth uh, really diving in tonight. Uh, take a look at the details of the story, and we'll read through it verse by verse, as we always do. Uh, and there's so much really in this chapter, I'm pretty sure we're not even going to uh, come close to diving into the depths. Uh, I want to remind you of that. Uh, you know, it depends on um, your perspective, I suppose. Uh, but uh, I always feel like we're just scratching the surface uh, when we're going through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, there's different ways of doing it. <clears throat> J. Vernon McGee, it took him five years to go through the Bible. Um, but he would skip chapters because, you know, they was talking about how many spoons and forks and knives were in the uh, t uh, tabernacle. And, and he'd just say, now those are all the spoons and knives and the forks. And chapter 20, you know, and then he move on to the next chapter. Um, I, we read through it all. And we're, so it takes us uh, 15 years, uh, or we're on a 16-year pace right now. Um, but, uh, but I do like covering all the details. And even with that, we're, we're scratching the surface. So we'll do our best to cover as much as we can tonight on this. But, um, but it's great, great stuff. Now, we got to remember in a little bit of review, just because so, it's so important, I think, to understand the context of what's going on here. But, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar died, um, you know, in our dating system, uh, October the 7th, 562 uh, BC. And so um, this is kind of a big moment, a big change in, uh, in what was going on there in Babylon. And um, we, we talked about a little bit of the drama between Nebuchadnezzar uh, and the rulers that kind of came and went, uh, family members that murdered each other and stuff like that. We looked at that a little bit on Sunday. But we ended up getting to Nabonidus, um, you know, and Nabonidus was that guy who was the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and, uh, and he ended up reigning sort of in a strange way. He got the throne. Nabonidus was the king of Babylon uh, and the Babylonian empire. But we learned um, that Bel Belshazzar, who is the starts you know, as the king in Babylon in chapter five, uh, we make this jump from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar. Now, what I love, I forgot to mention this on Sunday, but I always love when people, critics, cynics, so-called scholars, um, for the longest time, they, um, they said that Belshazzar didn't exist. The, the Belshazzar was never the king of Babylon, the, the Babylonian empire. Um, and it, it always kind of cracks me up because um, the Bible's always right. Uh, and man, you'll be in good standing if you just stick with the Bible. Don't listen to the archaeological people. Don't listen to the biblical, even the biblical archaeological review. I'm a, a longtime subscriber and there's interesting articles and digs and stuff all around the world, B-A-R. Uh, but, but even those guys, I remember reading years ago, you know, this and that, and that, and then they have to kind of eat their words. If they ever controvert the Bible or go against the Bible, they're always wrong. One such thing, I've told you about, you know, they said there was never the plains of Dura. I've talked about, you know, in the book of Daniel, they said that never existed. And then they found the plains of Dura. Um, and, and they always do this. But one such thing was, was the existence of Belshazzar. For the longest time, they said there was no Belshazzar. And for sure, there was no, you know, king over the, the Babylonian empire named Belshazzar. Now, let me just give it to him for a second. Are you guys ready for this? Um, there, there never was a king over the empire of Babylon named Belshazzar. Well, well, Brad, what do you mean? Well, as it turns out, Belshazzar is the king over the city of Babylon. And he is the son of Nabonidus. Now, by the way, if you're interested, um, we, um, we saw this uh, relief on Sunday of, of Nabonidus, this, this relief there on the left. 
Um, but what's interesting is some of these cylinders of Nabonidus. Now these cylinders are, were found in the archeological digs, uh, very ancient stones that have the etchings of the deeds of Nabonidus. Uh, and there's, there's, there's uh, tablets and there's cylinder stones. On this very cylinder stone you're looking at there on the top, it explains the whole thing, what they did. Nabonidus was the king over the Babylonian empire and, and Belshazzar was made king over the city Babylon. Um, they almost handled them, handled them like two almost separate entities because the city of Babylon was big enough to need a king of its own. So Nabonidus, uh, they called them co-regents. That is, Nabonidus was the king and then second to Nabonidus was Belshazzar, his son, and they put him in charge of the city. Belshazzar was in charge of the city of Babylon, not in charge of the entire kingdom of Babylon. Um, and that's kind of an interesting bit of information because it, it's funny, uh, in some ways, you know, you, you might say, uh, even Bible people said, yeah, Belshazzar was the king of Babylon. Well, he, he was the king of the city of Babylon, but not the, the, the province of Babylon. The province of Babylon was huge. So when people say, where was Nabonidus and what was he doing? Um, this king, you know, why did he leave his son in charge of Babylon? <clears throat> well, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday, and that was that, uh, that the, Nabonidus was trying to bring the empire of Babylon to its former greatness. Um, and so he was out doing, you know, battle and stuff. The first, first for basically 17 years, Nabonidus reigned, <clears throat> but he was trying to improve the conditions because it kind of fell apart uh, after the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and, and the various rulers that came and went, uh, they sort of ruined and, and squandered the former glory of Babylon. So Nabonidus was trying to bring that back. Well, while he was doing that, the Medo-Persian empire was the up and comers and they were getting more and more powerful and they were starting to conquer all the surrounding regions of the Babylonian empire. And so the big question, you know, people ask, well, where was Nabonidus? when all this happened. And, and for you guys that like to go a little deeper, there's two writers that you should probably read about this. It's not armchair reading, but it is interesting. Um, there's, there's an ancient, two ancient historians, Herodotus and Josephus, both write in great detail about um, what was going on during this time. Um, and this is extra biblical literature. So it's obviously not the inspired word of God, like what we have. Always go with the word of God. Other stuff's just interesting and you can study history and all that with that, but uh, don't bank on that stuff. You can bank on the Bible. Are, are we good with that? That's important to know. Uh, but it is fun to study. And I, I was reading a bunch of Herodotus today and Josephus and, and it, was, it was interesting to hear their description of what, what happened. And whether this was true or not, who knows, but Josephus and Herodotus were known to be fairly accurate in all of their histor historical writings. And a lot of their stuff perfectly aligns with the Bible, which is interesting. They weren't you know, Bible-believing Christians, which is kind of cool uh, to have that kind of a, a con ancient confirmation of what was going on. So what Herodotus and Josephus write about is that Nabonidus actually was, got a little overwhelmed as he was trying to you know, keep the former glory of Babylon when the Medes and the Persians started rising up and eventually Nabonidus had to run for cover and he went to a, a city that was far away from Babylon and he, he kind of held up in that city because uh, he knew he couldn't have him and his army out there uh, to go against the Medo-Persian empire. They weren't able to uh, defend the empire of Babylon. So he was sort of hiding in a city um, of the Medo-Persians, which they would eventually conquer, as it turns out, after they conquered Babylon. So Nabonidus probably outlived Belshazzar, uh, uh, according to history. 
Um, but Belshazzar, king of Babylon, we know his death and we're gonna see that tonight. Uh, but Nabonidus would, would uh, actually, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire would take over. They would actually capture Nabonidus and they would give him a nice little place to live in sort of exile. Uh, and he'd die an old man, as it turns out. That's, that's according to Josephus and, um, and uh, Herodotus. So there's kind of an interesting story there. But, um, but um, th- we talked a lot about the walls of Babylon. We talked about the Euphrates River and it's, uh, it's you know, the moat. Um, there's some interesting, you know, um, drawings and pictures and artwork and stuff that you can see. And, and even the archeological digs of the city of Babylon, you can see the river moat that is around it in a square form. And the, and the, the, the uh, Euphrates also would run through the city. And that's where those gates, the bars of leaves of steel and brass that, the, you know, that we talked about on Sunday would, would go when the water would flow into the city. This would ultimately be their Achilles heel um, and what have you. We talked about the walls of Babylon. By the way, Herodotus, uh, some believe he was exaggeratory. And so we don't really know. Uh, he wasn't known to be uh, given to uh, exaggeration. But um, some, some of the writings say that uh, the, um, the, the walls of Babylon, parts of them reached 350 feet high. Uh, that's what Herodotus says. Um, that's pretty high. Um, and so a lot of people think that must've been an exaggeration. Um, well, what about the archeological digs? Did they find walls that were 350 feet high? No. Um, it's interesting in the archeological digs of ancient Babylon, one of the problems is that the walls were made of clay because uh, that's kind of all they have there. They don't have uh, the, the same like stone of Jerusalem or even Rome or some of these, you know, e- even Ephesus. Some of these ancient cities, they had a lot of stone. These guys had some, they baked bricks and they made giant walls out of baked bricks. And the problem with that is not a lot of longevity, especially if it was a really tall wall. So um, there's argument about how big and tall the walls were. So the highest uh, Herodotus says was 350 feet. Who knows? Um, maybe he's including the towers that were on top of the walls, but it is agreed that these walls were huge, like we talked about on Sunday, where you could race you know, four to six chariots on the top of the wall of Babylon, the inner wall, and then there was the outer wall on the other side of the river, uh, like we talked about on Sunday. Um, you should know, by the way, what probably the most famous gate uh, is the Ishtar Gate. It was constructed in 575 BC by Nebuchadnezzar himself. Um, and they, they dug this gate up and it was, it was really intact. And even the beautiful coverings you see in this sort of uh, drawing, um, those, those coverings were found just like that. And they, <laughs> back when they found this, uh, they peeled off the coverings and took them to Berlin and reconstructed this gate in Berlin, okay? So kind of interesting. You can go see the covering of this gate, the, the, the skin, uh, uh, and they sort of re- made a replica of the Ishtar gate, which was probably the most famous gate of, uh, of Babylon. But it was built by Nebuchadnezzar II, which is the Nebuchadnezzar of the Bible. And uh, this is that section that they peeled off uh, and, and took to Berlin. Um, uh, glazed bricks, were, which were glazed mostly in b- blue and had um, animals that were some strange animals. And you say, well, what are these strange animals? Were, were, were there extinct animals? Because uh, they look a little weird. No, the, the Babylonians believed in these animals as deities. They worshiped these animals as deities, um, which is kind of funny because we're gonna talk a lot about animals coming up in the next chapters of the book of Daniel. And it's gonna speak loud and clear of what God thinks of these beasts and animals. But um, uh, um, 
these, these also made up, uh, you know, beautiful, beautiful mosaics, if you would. Uh, another thing you'll see in Babylon, if you go there today, and by the way, we've had Athe Creekers um, who were uh, stationed right there. I'll show you where in a minute, uh, right where the palace of uh, Nebuchadnezzar was. Uh, in our, some of our military servicemen uh, have been there, uh, you know, when they were in, in uh, that region of near, not too far from Baghdad. Um, but, but all that to say, you can see some of these, uh, one of the most famous things you'll see today in Babylon is the, the break bricks, but then they have these pop out sort of reliefs of the animals that they worshiped. And people go, uh, you know, before there was that much warfare, people used to go and tourists would go see that stuff. Um, but all that to say, Daniel chapter five sort of picks up in the, you know, in this, in this time period where, you know, the Medo-Persian empire is in, kind of enveloping the, the kingdom of Babylon and, and sort of, you know, Babylon is, is this one fortified city that's, that they're saying, well, it's all that's left, but who cares? We're safe. We're safe here in Babylon. Now, the reason I kind of get into this is I want you to kind of just for a minute, uh, you know, I like to sort of think what was going on in the mind of Belshazzar? You know, um, why do I do that? Why do I think that about Bible characters? I think when you, when you, you pause to sort of think, what was he thinking? Um, I think there's things to learn when you kind of consider what makes a person do what they're doing. And, uh, and we can learn from that uh, hopefully tonight as well. So let's take a look. Uh, starting here in chapter five, verse one. It says, Belshazzar, the king, uh, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting right there. This is what the first thing we read about Belshazzar. He's making a big banquet, a big feast, a thousand of his lords. Now, here's the funny thing. What were a thousand of the lords of Babylon doing in Babylon? There, there, there's something about that we learn just by looking at this. Um, there were never normally a thousand of the lords of the empire of Babylon all in Babylon, but, but the reason scholars believe that a thousand of them were in Babylon is because of the besieging of Babylon. They, they all kind of said, hey, the Medes and the Persians are coming. Let's all run you know, from our various, you know, various cities around the province of Babylon and go to the city of Babylon. And, um, and so that's exactly what they did. And that's why there would be a thousand of these lords in the city. Normally they would have been scattered all around, but that's kind of an interesting thing when you've got all the lords of Babylon all in one place. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, um, you know there's been movies and, and TV series about what would happen if, you know, during one of these events where the president, the vice president, you know, the Congress, the Senate and the house all are in one place. And what happens if that place explodes suddenly um, man, you know, hopefully you have your designated survivor, uh, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, who's the president of the United States suddenly. Um, well, as it turns out, that's the situation here in Babylon in the city. He, all the big wigs, all the lords of Babylon are all gathered together in the same room on the same night. And, and that's important to know uh, as far as the, the fall of Babylon. Um, you know, so um, we have to ask ourselves, what were, what were 1,000 of the lords doing? They were protecting themselves by, by moving in or going to the city. Now, um, I wanna make a case, uh, and I wouldn't die on this battlefield, the case I'm about to make, but I wanna make a case about Belshazzar. If you do the math, Belshazzar, he was about 14 years old when Nebuchadnezzar set up an image, you know, his, his, uh, his grandfather, 
when Nebuchadnezzar set up an image to be worshiped in Babylon and everybody was supposed to bow down when the music played, remember that? Um, Belshazzar would have been 14 years old, a freshman in high school, if you would, when, when that whole thing went down. He was around, he knew about you know, this uh, event, no doubt, it was a big deal, the fiery furnace. I mean, news gets around, I'm sure Belshazzar knew about this situation. Um, so that's kind of the, the thing you kind of, you got to remember he was around when his grandfather was still ruling and reigning for 43 years. So Belshazzar saw that. And I believe that it's possible Belshazzar knew who Daniel was because do you remember after Daniel chapter two, Bel, Belshazzar was around when Daniel was second in command over everything. Do you remember that? Daniel was, was made in charge. In fact, let's flip back to, to chapter two and I wanna show you how, I mean, these are, this is a powerful description of what Nebuchadnezzar does for Daniel after the, the interpretation of the dream in Daniel two. It says in Daniel two forty eight, then the king made Daniel a great man. Now we know Daniel already was a great man. The king didn't make him a great man. By God's grace, Daniel was an amazing man. Uh, but this is what it says. The king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole, what? Province of Babylon. Now, and the reason I, I wanna remind you, remember, it's, it's the province of Babylon, but then there's the city of Babylon. Um, so let's think about this for a second. Um, Daniel was in charge, second in command to Nebuchadnezzar over the whole province, not just the city. Question, who was a higher rank um, in, in their prime, I should say, not at the same time, but in their prime, when Daniel was second in charge over all the province of ba Babylon, or if you compare Belshazzar's rank as the king over Babylon, who had the higher rank? Daniel did. I have no question that, that Daniel was known um, by Belshazzar uh, because Daniel was the guy. He was the guy only second to Nebuchadnezzar over the whole province of Babylon, well, Belshazzar. So it says he made him over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. And then, you know, of course, verse 49, Daniel requested the king that he'd sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. By the way, this, this might answer some of the questions we had. Remember, where, where was Daniel in chapter three? Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar made everybody bow down. Where was Daniel? He was probably off somewhere in the province. And if you look at a map of Babylon's province, it was gigantic. And it went, you know, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And it went down in, even into parts of Arabia and almost up into Lebanon and up into almost parts of Europe. Like the Babylonian empire was huge. And Daniel could have been anywhere. Remember, he was... He was in, second in, in charge of the whole province. So it wouldn't have been a big deal for Daniel to have had to do you know, affairs, uh, you know, business affairs or, or kingdom sort of issues that he was dealing with. So he, he probably wasn't even around when all that happened. Uh, I think that's, that's likely. Uh, people say, Daniel must have bowed down. Uh, that's what people say, some, uh, in, in Daniel chapter three. That's ridiculous, especially when you know Daniel. But all that to say, um, this is interesting to me. And, and again, so what, what case am I trying to make? Well, back to Daniel chapter five, the case that I'm making is, um, you know, I, I believe that Belshazzar is in total rebellion against the true and living God. 
Um, you know, we, a lot of times we read the story and think, okay, there's this weird Babylonian king who is busting a move and partying down and drinking and getting drunk, you know, poops his pants and uh, he dies that night. And we just kind of dismiss the story and that's what happened. And that did happen. But, but I think if you read between the lines, I believe we're seeing a guy who's in rebellion against, you know, the God of the Jews and he's in rebellion to what the God of the Jews predicted years earlier. Because we have to remember in Daniel chapter two, you know, Daniel said, here's what's gonna happen, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold, but after you is gonna come another kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. And, and, and that, was, that was in record. There's no doubt the people of Babylon remember, you know, that Daniel, second in command over the whole kingdom, interpreted this dream, and that's why he became the king. Like, like this would have been history 101 if you're a kid being raised in Babylon. And I believe Belshazzar must have known of those prophecies given through the Jewish boy Daniel, who would later now be an older man. Daniel, by this time, by the way, is probably in his 80s. If, if you do the math, he's getting up there. And, and, uh, but he's, I love that he's still going strong uh, as an 80 year old guy. Uh, I love that. And, and some of the best things that happened in the book of Daniel and most powerful prophecies come when he's an older guy. But, um, but then that also begs the question, why in the party would Belshazzar suddenly bust out the Jewish vessels? Let's read that. It goes on now in chapter five, Daniel chapter five, it says, um, in, in verse two, Belshazzar, while he's, uh, whilst he tasted the wine, uh, commanded to bring the gold and the silver vessels, which his father, um, notice your margin says, or grandfather, because that's what it was. Remember in the, in the Chaldean language, Hebrew language, they would use the word father interchangeably as father or grandfather or even great grandfather or even ancestors. It was the, a word in general um, that you see in the Bible. So um, he says, uh, he, he, he commanded the vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes um, and his wives and his concubines, concubines might drink therein. Then they bought, brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple uh, of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank in them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron and wood and of stone. Wow, bold, brash, this king saying, get the Jewish vessels from the temple. Let's drink our you know, party uh, you know, beverages from that. Um, why would a guy do such a thing? And, and, and let me ask you this. Do you think the Babylonian empire at this time had other vessels from other kingdoms? Remember, they'd conquered all those kingdoms all around that region of the world. They had vessels coming out their ears, I'm sure. But what was so special about the vessels? Now, you could make the argument, well, um, the Jews, they put a lot of wealth. You know, during the reign of Solomon, man, Solomon, remember, and during the reign of Solomon, silver was like gravel, the Bible says. Silver just laid around like gravel because um, it was just a waste. You know, only gold and gems and precious stones were valuable because there was so much gold and silver during the time of Solomon. So that, that could be it. Maybe they were just really valuable vessels and they kind of stood out among all the others. But I believe there's more to it because um, he even renumerates where the vessels came from. He says, let's get those vessels, the ones that my grandfather took from the temple you know, in Jerusalem, the holy vessels. And, and let's, what are we doing? They're drinking and partying 
to their gods of Babylon of gold, silver, you know, wood and stone. There's a very deliberate message here if you ask me. And this is the case that I'm making. He's in rebellion against the God of the Jews that had predicted Babylon's fall. And he is just in denial about God's power and God's ability to do what he says he's gonna do. And it's almost like he's trying to sort of, you know, just live his life in a way that's just kind of an abject rebellion so that it hopefully won't really happen the way that it it was supposed to happen. Well, Brent, what does that have to do with us today? Why are you making such a point? I believe a lot of people are living that same life today. A lot of people today are flying in the face of the God of the Christians, who, by the way, is the same God. The same God that Belshazzar's rebellion against here in this Daniel chapter five story is the same God you and I worship today and the same God that has prophesied that what's gonna happen in the last days. We're living in the same exact scenario of end times, if you would. Belshazzar's living in the end times of Babylon. You and I are living in end times of the world. But the worldly response is often to just fly in the face of the true and living God and say, yeah, whatever. And even, you know, mock and even, you know, blaspheme the name of the true and living God. So we're living in a day where we're seeing, you know, a lot of people say, you can't do this and you can't do that. And they're, they're saying, you can't worship because of this or that, or you have to get this or that. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing where people are sort of forcing, uh, and, 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 and it's in my lifetime, your lifetime, we're starting to see some of the liberties that we've always enjoyed as Americans being taken away. And, 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 and they're starting to touch on some of our religious freedoms, and they have been now for several years. And it's only gonna get worse, I believe. If you read your Bible and know how the prophecies go, I believe it's only gonna get worse. Oh, as a patriot, I hope I'm wrong and I, I hope the United States, we pull up, but we're headed, we're headed down really fast. Does anybody get the sense that America's spiraling right now? Man, if you watch what's going on and you see what our president is doing or not doing or saying or not saying, uh, um, if you see, you know, um, you know, the, 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 um, the world scene and what the world thinks about the United States now, it's set, it's the stage is set for the end time scenario. Do you know, I hope you understand, you know, for the world to, to go the way the Bible says it's gonna go in the last days, globalism, one world religion, one world government, um, you know, uh, th- this coming world leader called Antichrist, um, for that to happen, America can't exist as it has for the last 200 years. America cannot be in the scene. And, and that's why the Bible, it's, it's amazing. We've always wondered, why is the United States not talked about in Bible prophecy? That's, we've always kind of scratched our heads with that. And, you know, we said, well, maybe, maybe um, you know, maybe we, the rapture of the church happens and we're suddenly uh, emptied of, of a lot of the people of our nation. Well, that could happen. That's, that's the most positive scenario I can think of. <laughs> or maybe we're just not in the picture because we've been weakened and we just don't have it anymore. Um, man, it's sad. I, um, I, I've, I've found, it's interesting in my prophecy updates, I get a lot of responses and people. And one of the things I was talking about uh, a couple of prophecy updates ago, if you missed our, what was that? Let's see, we're in September. So in the August prophecy update, I talked about the weapons of the world and weapons of the end times. And I was talking about, you know, the Chinese and some of their weapons and the Russians and what they're doing. And, you know, I got a lot of people and, and I understand, I'm with these guys that were arguing against me. I'm like, yeah, I was cheering on their arguments against me. Uh, what were their arguments? Brett, the United States is the most powerful nation in the world and our military is superior and everything. And I'm like, yeah, you're right about that. And I, and, but, I, but I'm like, yeah, but I'm reading a lot of things that, 
And, and here's, here's my trouble. We have, we have people that are active in our military as we speak who are telling me, Brett, it's worse than you guys even know. I was talking, I'm not gonna give any real detail of this one, but I met with a guy who was just, just in the thick of battle on the other side of the world somewhere. And, um, and he was talking about how, um, how, how you know, they'd be engaged with the enemy in, in some real you know, legitimate and important issues and everything was postured and ready and they, were, they had people and, they were, and then suddenly they were told to shut everything down, stop all the flights and the air, air you know, support and pull back all, all the soldiers, get them, turn off all their computers and go because they had to do their diversity training. Um, he says, it's ridiculous. Like we, we let people go who should have been taken out. We didn't let people get away because we were making sure, you know, and, and you know, they've said, Brett, when you showed the, the recruiting videos in your prophecy updates, you know, the, the, the one from the United States and the ones from the Russians, um, they said, it's worse than you even know. And, and uh, you know, it makes you kind of wonder, you know, what's going on with the United States? I believe that a large problem with, with where we're at as Americans is I'm gonna call it the Belshazzar syndrome. We've been weighed in the balance and been found wanting as a nation. And, and we're, we're, we're like Belshazzar, la, 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 la. We just don't even wanna know about it. And, and, and we've heard what's gonna happen. And people say, oh, you believe in the end times and God's wrath and all this stuff, whatever. Party down, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And that's kind of the attitude. I think that you know, this, this rebellion Belshazzar is sowing, I recognize this um, as an attitude that is largely against God. Um, you know, our politicians, you know, many of them are just openly against the biblical truth and Christianity. But, but you know, frankly, I have to say, there's some that, you know, they wear the pin and they, they act like they're God bless America and pray for this and pray for that. And they quote scriptures oftentimes wrong and out of context. And they sort of have the poser uh, Christianity going on, but they're not, they're not, but who are you to say who's a Christian? I'm not, I'm not anyone to say who's a Christian, but you'll know them by their fruit. And the fruit is not good. And uh, it stinks and it's rotten. And uh, you know, the, the sad truth is, is I see this rebellion that I see here in Belshazzar. I think he knows who Daniel is. I think he's, he's sees the, he sees that you know, the Medes and the Persians are coming. And he sees that, you know, who knows where Nabonidus is, his father, but he hasn't heard from him for a few months. So whatever, but we're, we're good. And he's just gonna party down and act like nothing's wrong. Do you get a sense that our leaders are sort of partying down and acting like nothing's wrong? Meanwhile, our cities are falling apart. I mean, we live in Portland for crying out loud. We're seeing it as, as much as any city. Um, I was just in downtown today. Um, and um, I, I talked to one of the store owners in downtown Portland. They said, yeah, we, all of our stores, whoever's left, it's like Armageddon down there. Um, the stores that are left, they all got a private investigator and hired a person because all their streets were taken over by tents and, and these people, homeless people. And they, they, they'd complain and the city would say, nope, they have the right to camp, they're camping on public property. And you couldn't walk down the sidewalk. Uh, uh, you couldn't even park a vehicle next to the road because their tents were kind of falling out on the road. I saw it this morning. Well, while I was there, the police were there trying to subdue some people because the name, the, 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 all those stores said, um, we, we had to hire a private investigator. We all went in together and paid so that we could show that criminal activity was going on in these tents. And they were able to show drug stuff and weapons and all this stuff. Well, sure enough, they finally gave the city, um, you know, the, um, 
the information. And so the city uh, did a raid and out of the 40 tents that are on that street, uh, three of them were taken down. And that's what I saw happening today. Three of the tents were being taken down. They took out full, huge truckloads of stuff, just taking three of these tents. And they, they found all kinds of weapons, like tons of like loaded guns and, and all kinds of drug paraphernalia and stuff. And, uh, and they just let all the other campers uh, stay there. Uh, and, and, and meanwhile, these businesses are all dying and stuff. And you think, man, how can, how can we look at that and say, that's a good thing. We're really helping the homeless people there by letting them camp out on the streets, you know? And you say, where's the reason? Where's the logic? And the answer, ask Belshazzar. Where's his reason and where's his logic? He's surrounded by the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, he, he knows that there's been this prophecy given. He's going down and Babylon's going down, but he's just acting like everything's great. No big deal, party down. Uh, we're all good, uh, but he's gonna die this night. And sad to say, I worry that we as an American culture that once stood for you know, righteousness and goodness in the world, at least we have a history of that, um, we, we're falling away from that. I see a, a great parallel about this. You know, um, all these people were set up uh, to be destroyed. And I think this was God's plan to carry out his prophecy on the nation Babylon and the Babylonians. I believe God has even a more important and more powerful future for the world. And we're right on the cusp of that. I really believe that. And the, the, the decline and the fall of the United States that we're seeing, sadly. And again, I pray for revival. I pray this is just one of the birth pains, you know, before, and maybe we're gonna have another enlightenment. Uh, that'd be awesome. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I, I pray for that. Um, but if it doesn't, uh, it would fit exactly with what the biblical narrative says. The United States is gonna be a non-issue when it comes to the end times and when the Antichrist comes and his one world government and his uh, one world religion and his one world economy. The Bible says this is gonna all happen. The United States cannot exist the way it has traditionally and all that stuff happen at the same time. Well, bro, that's depressing. <laughs> it is, but remember, you know, Jesus taught us, we're supposed to remember that our kingdom is not of this world. Um, we can be patriots and we can pray for this country. And, and some of you are even called to political activity. And I hope there's people in our congregation that are out there doing that work. And I know there are. So I, I'm so thrilled to see some of you guys actively working hard. And that, there's a real place for that. I believe that for sure. And I'm, I'm thankful that Aether Greek's full of people that are out there just doing stuff to try to turn these things around. And I think you should keep doing that. But at the same time, um, we also have to remember, you know, um, when things don't go the way we hope they do, um, I'm sure there's a lot of Californians tonight that are a little discouraged um, because of what's going on there. Uh, but you know what, that's where you have to remind yourself, you know, heaven is our place we're headed. Uh, my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said, and we need to remember, set your affection on things above and not on things of this earth. We have to remember that. Well, be that as it may, Belshazzar, I think, is, an, is, a, is a sort of a type of, of the modern day person, uh, eating and drinking and being marrying and all that. Speaking of drinking, uh, notice how he does all his stupid things after he's been drinking too much. <laughs> oh, Brett, is this where you tell us the evils of alcohol? Well, yes, <laughs> I do. Um, in fact, um, don't forget, like this is a classic example right here of what the Bible teaches in Proverbs 31, remember? Um, it says in Proverbs 31, Solomon, who is the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth, he pens down the words of his mother um, as, as wisdom. And he says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, 
It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Uh, you know, let the person be sloshed and drunk with wine um, that wants to, you know, be doomed. And that's kind of what Belshazzar's doing. He's drowning his sorrows and he's doing it as boldly against God as he can using the vessels of the temple of the Jews. And, uh, and he's gonna go down just as, you know, this guy's stupid. We could talk about Belshazzar's stupidity. I could do a whole sermon and we could alliterate it. You know, his pride, his poop, his, uh, we, I could do all kinds of things about, you know, Belshazzar and how, what a loser he was. Um, but I won't do that sermon tonight. <laughs> it's tempting. Uh, but, but back to Daniel 5. This is, the scene, this is the scene. This is what's going on. They're, they're totally busting it out, thinking they're going to somehow defy God. And then, verse 5, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against the other. The king cried aloud to bring the, in the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers um, and the king spake and said unto the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall become or be the third ruler in the kingdom. First of all, just that promise is so stupid. What if, what if some guy gives the interpretation and he just happens to be an imbecile? You just made an imbecile the third ruler of all the kingdom. Like, like, like is that something you should take lightly? Um, it's funny how these guys are like, oh, I'll make you third ruler and I don't even know who you are yet, but whoever you are with a pulse that can tell me what the writing on the wall is. Um, like this just is him acting stupidly. Um, but but um, there's so much here, you know, I, I, like I mentioned on Sunday, it says uh, in, the, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand. And, and there's debate, is it, the, is it the fingers of an angel? Is it the fingers of God? Um, but it says it's the fingers of a man's hand. Maybe it's just the Lord using a, a little puppet of a man's hand to write down something on the wall. I don't know for sure, but, but don't forget, we were created in the image of God. Um, and we were told the finger of God wrote the 10 commandments. Uh, by the way, you can jot that down. Exodus 31, 18 tells us that. Um, but, um, but here we see it says the fingers of a man's hand. Um, I love it. John chapter eight, verse six is where we see Jesus with his finger writing in the sand. We talked about that on Sunday and this writing against the indictment against. Um, do you remember when Christ returns, the second coming of Christ, what's coming out of his mouth? a sword. Um, well, brother, that's weird. Who comes with a sword coming out of their mouth? Ah, like that, that's, that's weird. Well, you got to remember, don't paint these pictures of the book of Revelation. They're not meant to be painted. They have meaning. And the sword is what? The word of God. What's going to happen when Christ comes? It's the word of God that's written. That's going to be indicting the world for their sin and their, their evil. It's not that there's a sword coming out of his mouth. That's supposed to be this image. That we're, the idea is the thing that's gonna strike and divide is gonna be the sword of the word of God when he comes. And nobody will have an excuse when Christ comes. Um, 
And that's, that's what we need to understand about this. Um, so, um, so as it turns out, you know, um, we, we see here that, that um, you know, Nebuch, Nebuch, pardon me, Belshazzar, he is totally lost it. He's the joints of his loins loosed. Um, and again, you know, uh, your, your newer translations try to clean it up even still, but most scholars believe in the, in the uh, you know, language of, of the day, uh, you know, Aramaic, it's speaking that he kind of, you know, he didn't uh, quite make it to the restroom in time. Uh, and his knees smote together. Uh, have you ever had your knees smite together uh, when something bad happens? It's like you just kind of drop. It's like your knees kind of come out from under you. That is probably what happens. He kind of fell down uh, and what have you. But he's, he's troubled. And so he pulls a nebby. What's the nebby? He says, get me the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, the magicians. The same thing his grandfather did, stupidly. Um, and, and, and you say, Brett, well, this shows that Belshazzar must not have known Daniel uh, because he doesn't ask for Daniel. That would have been the obvious choice had Belshazzar known Daniel. But you gotta also remember, um, he's flying in the face of the God of the Jews. He doesn't like the Jews. And we're gonna see some language that's very derogatory toward Daniel uh, coming up here from Belshazzar. I don't think Belshazzar likes the Jews. I don't think he wants anything to do with Daniel. Maybe, and again, I'll admit, I might be reading into history a little bit, but maybe Belshazzar's a little, you know, uh, jealous of Daniel and his former power. Whatever happened to Daniel's power? We don't know for sure, but most of us, as we read this, and most scholars actually uh, say that Daniel's probably in retirement. He'd been second ruler under Nebuchadnezzar, but with the coming and going of all these other leaders, Daniel was probably sort of retired after Nebuchadnezzar died, after his 43 years of reigning. So Daniel's just off retired, probably. That's where he is. So they're gonna have to call him to come in. We'll see that in a second. Um, um, but, but that's kind of important to know, um, as it turns out. So the fingers of a man's hand, uh, and it's inscribing it on the walls. Um, it's kind of funny because in, in Babylon, everything was inscribed on walls. That's kind of how they did stuff. You can go and see stuff on walls, still inscribed, pictures and what have you. Did you know, by the way, do you remember when um, Saddam Hussein was still alive? Um, he was trying to rebuild ancient Babylon. Um, you can go see, uh, well, if you're, if you're wearing a, a bulletproof vest, maybe, you can go see uh, the, the king, you know, uh, the, 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 you know the, the King Nebuchadnezzar's sort of uh, reincarnation. Uh, did you know that Saddam Hussein believed he was Nebuchadnezzar, uh, sort of reincarnated? Um, and one of the things that he did is you can find these reliefs on uh, Saddam Hussein's head chiseled in stone, uh, just like in Babylon days. Um, uh, it's interesting that his head is there disconnected because that's kind of what happened uh, to him. Um, uh, but but uh, Saddam, Nebuchadnezzar Hussein, that was sort of his thing, um, uh, as it turns out. Now, by the way, uh, this, this palace where this happened, um, you know, the, this is kind of a really high satellite photo, but you can see where the, the bend in the Euphrates River there, um, you know, that, that's kind of where this palace, or near where the palace is. Saddam Hussein built his palace right up over the old palace there area. The round circle in that is Saddam Hussein's palace. Um, the, 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 um, the, the city that's along the river by the elbow in the river, that's where the United States military base, some of you guys from Athe Creek were uh, uh, stationed right there. Um, and, uh, and had to do service there. Um, the Ishtar Gate, you can kind of see a little bit of the outline of the ancient city. 
and um, you can see, uh, like this, this high level view is kind of hard to see all that, but the detail, as you kind of dial in, you know, it gets more and more clear. Now, these, see these big rooms here? This is where they believe, um, you know, uh, that this uh, banquet actually took place in our Daniel chapter five story. Um, this is an ancient archeological dig where they found the, these rooms. And, and um, were they the same size? There's debate and there's different ancient historians that talk about that. But it's just interesting that the, these are real places and these are real things that happen, real event. Uh, I think sometimes we read Bible stories and we kind of go, oh, these are like fairy tales, you know, Santa Claus, uh, Daniel, uh, you know, all these things. No, this is a real story. But all that to say, um, this, 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 um, this is you know, him freaking out, seeing uh, that this handwriting's carved or chiseled by the finger in the, in the wall. And so he cries out. Now, um, notice uh, um, it, it says in verse uh, eight, then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his lords were astonished. Some of your newer translations say confused or perplexed. Uh, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. We don't know what the handwriting on the wall is. Now, it's interesting because the, um, the writing on the wall was in fact Aramaic. And so the big debate is why couldn't they read it? At least no meaning, mine, tekel yufarsin or perez. Why couldn't they have gotten that down? Um, some believe it maybe was an, um, an interesting script or an ancient version of the uh, Aramaic script, uh, but somehow they didn't know what it meant or said. So they had to uh, figure out something else. And that's where we introduce the queen, um, probably the, what we would call her the queen mother, verse 10. It says, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. Now, this is interesting to me. She wasn't in the banquet house. Why? Maybe a couple of reasons. One, she was probably very old. This is probably either Nebuchadnezzar's wife or evil Merodach's wife. We don't know for sure, but she's probably the queen mother. Now, some people make the argument that um, Nabonidus would have been married to her or even Belshazzar. You say, well, that, how's that? I mean, who, who did she marry? It could be all of them. You have to understand, this is the way the Babylonians rolled. When you became the king, you would take on a harem and multiple wives, and, uh, and you would definitely take the queen as your own, even if it was your mother. Um, this, is, this is the way the Babylonians rolled, and it was a show of force and power by saying, you know, she's still the queen or whatever. It was, it was kind of, so there's some people that argue that. I don't know that I would argue that. Uh, as much. I believe this is probably the queen mother or grandmother. And I find it interesting. She's not in the party. Um, she has to be called in because uh, the party kind of stops. Uh, once uh, he pooped his pants, uh, party's over, uh, as it turns out. Um, so the queen comes in to the banquet house. By the way, in verse two, I didn't really mention this, but where it says his wives and his concubines came into the party, this is something you have to know about Babylonian history as well. When they did these parties, they did not allow the women in these parties unless it was for sexual perverse kind of reasons. Uh, you have to understand that it's different than our culture, uh, but that's, that's, that's what gives us sort of an indication of what kind of party this was. It was basically a drunken orgy. It was ugly and sinful. And that's why Daniel's not here, of course, but that's also why the queen mother probably wasn't there either. But she comes in 
And, um, and she says, uh, she comes into the banquet house and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, and again, look at your margin, it says grandfather, um, light and understanding and wisdom, like wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much, and now she's gonna explain what Daniel did, verse 12, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Man, don't you love this? Um, man, there's so much here. I love what she says about Daniel. What a reputation Daniel has. I mean, I love this. She says, man, he's a guy who interpreted dreams and had understanding and knowledge, had an excellent spirit. Oh, we can just camp out on these attributes that she acknowledges, a guy who had an excellent spirit. That's what we as Christians should have. We have an excellent spirit within us. We should be different than the world. We should stand out among the world. And Daniel did, he was, had an excellent spirit. And, and you know what I love about Daniel is one thing that he did is he answered questions more than raised questions. Daniel, when he got into the room, he'd start answering and solving and causing the questions to, to be taken out one by one. What an important role that is. Um, that's the problem today, by the way. One of the big problems I see, both in churches, in ministry, and also in Christian universities and colleges and all that, what, what happens more? Do, do people hear more answers? Do they walk away with more answers or do they walk away with more questions? Um, you know, it's become sort of cool to just raise the question and say, well, we don't really know about this. And what do you think about that? And is it okay to do this or that? And, and, and people like to discuss and debate and, um, you know, have sort of a, um, uh, let's, let's talk through it, an open forum for everybody to sort of give their two cents. Well, I think this is what the Bible means. Well, I think that's what the Bible means. Um, Bible doesn't teach that's the way to do it. Bible says there's, you're supposed to have teachers. Um, that, that, and, and by the way, the Bible teaches what we should be doing, that we should be answering questions more than raising questions. One of the things I've seen, and this has happened now for a long time, and don't get me wrong, there's good professors at George Fox and, and some you know, Christian universities. There's good professors, of course, but there's also a lot of ones that are kind of off the rails. That's the bummer. And a lot of these people, our kids come out of college and university with more questions than they did answers. Um, right now, watch out mom and dad. When you send your kids off to school, the big thing right now is deconstructing your faith. Forget your mom and dad's faith. We need to deconstruct that because your mom and dad were kind of wacko. They have these very conservative Christian you know, views and we want you to kind of deconstruct that. I think it's one of the most evil, sinister things that's happened to the universities and the colleges. And now some churches are really into deconstructing your faith. Watch out for this. I think it's ugly and it's wrong. 
But this deconstruction, what does it do? It makes people with more questions. Well, I don't know if I believe in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I believe in the authenticity of the Bible and the inerrancy of scripture. I don't know, if, is it really God's word or does it contain God's word? Um, the Jesus seminar said there's only a few sentences Jesus really said, the other ones we don't know for sure. And what about the book of Enoch and the book of Judas and the book of, <laughs> those are more questions. Um, Jot this scripture down in your notes. I think it's an important one. Second Corinthians, Paul the apostle says in chapter six of Second Corinthians, he says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the, of the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The Lord says, I wanna call you out from among them. I don't want you to do um, the same things, you know, um, that, that uh, um, you know, that the world uh, wants, wants you to do. Um, but what about this? There's, there's other scriptures. First Timothy, jot this one down. First Timothy chapter one. It says, neither give heed to fables and to endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. There's so many people that are all into, let's just raise the questions and not give people the answers. The Bible gives us all the answers we ever need. And I hope you never apologize. Well, what do you know all the answers, Christian? Um, I think we don't know all the answers, but the Bible provides all the answers that we could ever need. Uh, jot this one down, First Timothy. This is Paul teaching on Timothy, chapter six, verses three through five. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, and he is proud, knowing nothing, but listen, what's this? Doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. What are you supposed to do from these people? Withdraw yourself, get away from them. The people that are doting about questions and strifes of words, rather than bringing you know, solid doctrine. See, the reason I kind of harp on this one, I love Daniel because he's the one who was dissolving of doubts, as the King James puts it. Um, the, the, the word doubt there in the ancient languages is another word for the word not. He's the one untying the knots. Um, whereas they were, they were messing everything up and confusing and tangling up everything. That's what you need to ask yourself. Am I, am I learning to have more clarity when I'm you know, uh, reading the scripture at this church or at this university or with this Bible study? Or do I walk away more confused than when I came? I believe that's a sign of, a, of a, a group that's misguided. I really do. If you're walking away with less clarity, strife and confusion, the Bible says that's every evil work and it's not of the Lord. It's sens earthly, sensual, and devilish. James chapter three. 
But the, the wisdom that comes from heaven is easy to be enacted, full of good fruit and without partiality. It's clear, there's clarity and there's no strife or confusion. Um, watch out, if you're sensing all kinds of confusion, and, and watch out for podcasts and blogs and all these things that raise more questions and cause more fear and anger, watch out for this stuff because I think that it's just part of the way the enemy wants to divide and conquer. Be careful. Well, all that to say, we see, uh, you know, 1 Timothy 6 is kind of a reminder um, of what we have to watch out for. Um, also, I mean, I could go on and on, 2 Timothy 2, 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they, they do gender strifes. Do you guys see, the Bible says, watch out for this. And I love that Daniel was the guy who always brought clarity, dissolving of doubts. That's a huge attribute that I love about Daniel. Well. Um, let's go on. It says, um, you know, uh, so uh, she, she says, Daniel, the dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. That was, remember, his Babylonian name. Well, verse 13, then, when, uh, then was Daniel brought in before the king and the king spake and said unto Daniel, art thou Dan that Daniel, that Daniel, which are of the children of the captivity of Judah, um, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry, now this is where you could read this and you could not see um, sort of a, a uh, sort of a insult, but all the scholars of, the, of these original language say he was being insulting here. He's saying, you know, are you one of them Jews that my dad brought you out of your Jewishness and made you become Babylonian? Like there's a there's definitely sort of an insulting kind of tone that's being used here in verse 13. Um, and verse 12, I uh, I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers have been brought in before me and they, uh, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not. Um, they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts now, if thou canst read the writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet. Or the word scarlet there could also be purple, uh, which is kind of a, a royal color. Um, and have a chain of gold around your neck and shalt uh, be third ruler in the kingdom. Um, remember, Nabonidus, number one. Belshazzar, number two. Daniel would have been number three. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Man, I love this. This is such a great statement of Daniel. You can have your junk, whatever. Um, you know, uh, I think this is one of the healthiest places to be in life, just to say, you know what? You can have your material goods. I'm, you know, like I, I feel like we're living in a day where one of our greatest fears is to lose our wealth or lose our you know, material possessions. Um, but Daniel seems to be kind of free of that. Yeah, whatever, I don't need that stuff. He had a bigger picture in mind and he was free from the bribery or you know, he, was gonna, he was gonna do what's right no matter what was coming or going, even if it meant you know, he'd have his head chopped off. Like Daniel wasn't afraid uh, to just be bold. And I love that about Daniel. Lord, make us in these days where I think there's, there's things that are sort of the world's bribing you. They're trying to bribe you and say, well, if you do this, then we'll let you do this or let you do that or the other. But you gotta do what God's called you to be and do. 
uh, with or without the world. Be careful on this one. We need to have a Daniel mindset on this. Uh, I see the handwriting on the wall. Sorry to use the, the phrase, but I see it for us too. Um, so, you know, he said, give your rewards to another, yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom, uh, he would, whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he had put down. In other words, your grandfather, he was a, he was a real king. He had real power. People freaked out when your grandfather was in the room. Punk. I, he didn't say that. <laughs> but you kind of get the sense. You just get a little bit of, little bit of that Maybe. Your grandfather was, was different, you know. Um, but, verse 20, when his heart, your grandfather's heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from the, the kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beasts and the, his dwelling was with the wild asses and they fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. See, this is why... This is starting to nail down my case. Belshazzar knew all this stuff. I, I don't think, you know, we, we read this story correctly. We think, oh, this dumb young king just didn't know what was going on. No, I think he knew all this stuff. Daniel even says it right here. He knew all this, but it was all in the face of God, his pride, his arrogance, his, you know, saying this is not gonna happen. But you knew all this, verse 22, verse 23, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose, all, whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of this hand sent from him. And this writing was written. Oh boy, uh, Daniel, man, he just lets him have it there. You should have, you should have known all this stuff. And, and instead of doing the right thing and humbling yourself, Belshazzar, you're in the situation you are because of your pride, just like your, 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 your grandfather. But even he was humbled. Even your grandfather was humbled before God. But you, you're, you're less than a man than he was. And you still think you're all that. And now this handwriting is coming. And, and I love that Daniel reminds him, you know, don't you understand? Even your very breath that you have in your lungs belongs to God. It's amazing when you think about our bodies and the involuntary muscles, things we don't have to think about. Your heart just kind of beats. Thank the Lord, most of us. You know, your, your lungs breathe. I think that's probably one of the scariest things of when you've had coronavirus is the breathing part. Man, it just, you kind of feel like you're just not getting air. And it's, it can be really rough. We've had some people that have been really close to, you know, huge trouble. Um, there's a few Athey Creekers um, that have gone home to be with the Lord since uh, the coronavirus thing. And, you know, it's, it's so sad and it's so brutal, but, you know, there's something about when you're sick, 
Have you ever noticed when you're sick that um, you just realize, wow, you know, our bodies work most of the time. That's amazing. Like I'm always amazed at how our bodies work and God made us. I'm kind of amazed how God helped our bodies to fight off viruses and stuff like that. Like he, he sort of did that. It is interesting, by the way, uh, again, I'm not a doctor and I'm not making a medical statement or vaccine statement, but I am saying, you know, it's amazing how your natural immunities are really pretty good. They're only now figuring that out, by the way. Did you see what Israel's doing? Israel's an interesting study and, and we should keep our eye on Israel and I'll tell you why. Israel was the earliest nation to be totally, I mean, they were as high vaccination rate as any country in the world. Um, and they, everyone's like, Israel did it, man. They had their vaccine passports, the Israelis, it was awesome. They were all boasting, yeah, we, you know. And, and then they realized, ooh, we need, we need to get a booster because we're starting to see some of our, you know, bodies are getting sick. Now, did you know Israel's already done their, their third shot? And, their, and, and for your, you know, Israeli uh, vaccination passport to be legitimate, they're getting ready to make it to where you have to have the fourth, the booster. Um, there, you have to have the, if you're gonna be truly carrying the, the vaccine card where you can go wherever you wanna go in, in Israel, you need the fourth, it's, it's coming. And, but here's what, and, and I gotta give it to Israeli you know, medicine. They're, they're, they're cutting edge you know, on science and all kinds of technology. But as far as medicine, Israelis are way ahead. But they're, they're saying we're seeing so many people who are vaccinated back in the hospital. But here's what, what I thought was interesting. They said the people that are probably the better off, and they're using numbers now that nobody, they're trying to cover up, and I don't, don't know why. These are the Israelis just saying, we, we see that a person who's had coronavirus is 43 times better protected than somebody who's been vaccinated. That's an interesting number. Uh, I think that's interesting. Watch it, watch what's going on with Israel and see what happens with the science. Um, but I, I think that there's a narrative out there that makes me kind of wonder, but I'm kind of amazed, like, oh, who would have thought God made our bodies in a way that kind of works? And the world's like, no, that doesn't work. Your bodies can't do that. And you're the problem, the, you know. It, it's just funny, like, uh, just this narrative today. I kind of think it fits into some of this, uh, but maybe I'm making more of it, but I don't know. Well, anyway, the handwriting was on the wall and now Daniel interprets. And we looked at this on Sunday. It says this in verse 25, and this is the writing that was written, mine, mine, tekel you farsen. This is the interpretation of the thing, mine. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians then commanded Belshazzar and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a, a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Totally meaningless. Verse 30, and in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. Now the interesting verse is 31. And Darius the Median took the kingdom being about three score and two years old. Um, now, before we pack it up, just a few more things. Um, don't forget, Darius was the Mede, Cyrus was the Persian, and Cyrus was the one really in charge. Darius, uh, some people believe he was kind of subservient to Cyrus. Um, and it depends on who you're reading in ancient history outside of the Bible, but we know that Cyrus was the one sort of leading the charge against the Babylonian Empire. And he was, you know, Cyrus gets the credit for taking over the Babylonian Empire. Cyrus does. Um, Darius is the guy who's left in charge of the Babylonian Empire. 
Um, are you guys with me on that? That's important. And it is uh, true in, in relation to the Isaiah prophecy. Before we pack it up, jot this down in your notes. Isaiah 44, um, this is where the prophecy was given. Let me just read this to you because it, it, now that you know the story, now that we kind of reviewed what happened um, and you know the river was dried up and they cut the, the bars and all that stuff. Listen to this. This comes from 200 years earlier. God gave Isaiah the prophet this vision and it says in Isaiah 44, 27 through 45, verse five, thus saith uh, the Lord to the, that the deep, the deep rivers be dry and I will dry up thy rivers, saith Cyrus. He is my shepherd. Who's the shepherd? Cyrus. And shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built. And to the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings. There was a prophecy that a king was gonna poop his pants. That's funny. I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut us under the bars of iron, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, Jehovah, which have called thee by thy name, Cyrus, and the God of Israel, for Jacob my servant's sake, and for Israel mine elect, and I have... Uh, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee that thou hast not known me. I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. God calls out and says, I'm gonna have a dude come along in history called Cyrus and he's gonna be my anointed one that I'm gonna use to conquer the Babylonian empire, dry up the river, go through the two gates, first wall, second wall. All of that was prophesied. And the reason it was for Israel because Cyrus would be the one who would give the decree for Israel to ultimately go back to Jerusalem. And that would be the, the, why the Lord says, Cyrus, you're gonna be my shepherd. Isn't it interesting the Lord uses this secular king to be sort of his shepherd over a rebellious Israel? That's kind of interesting. Well, prophecy fulfilled, check that box, Isaiah 44. And there's plenty of prophecies about the days you and I are living right now that are gonna be fulfilled. And I think we're seeing them fulfilled in our very day. These are exciting times. I hope you realize, Christians, these are exciting times to be alive. And you and I are, I think we're blessed to be able to live during days where we're seeing Bible prophecy unfold uh, right before us. Uh, but we also have to have our game on. We gotta be following Jesus. We gotta not be into material possessions and, and be, be willing to be bribed over the gold necklace and the chain, you know, and the coat and the ro don't Don't be taken in by that. Even if we lose everything we have, don't forget, heaven's coming. This kingdom is not, uh, our kingdom is not of this world and we need to set our affection on things above. Don't be like Belshazzar who flies in the face of the prophecies of God and says, I'm just gonna outlive all that. Never gonna happen. Better to follow the Lord and submit to his future and his will, and then you'll be in good standing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, how we thank you so much for this, uh, this amazing story, really, Lord, of your word and how history continues to just uh, show us not only what happened in the past, um, but, but even kind of gives us a, a glimpse in what's gonna happen in the future. Lord, um, it's been said that uh, if there's one thing we've learned from history is that we've learned nothing from history. Lord, it's true that your word is these stories that we should learn from. 
Um, but so many just kind of blow them off and, and say, yeah, whatever, Bible stories. But Lord, we know there's much to glean. So as we pray through these passages and meditate on your word day and night, may we be like the tree firmly planted by the river. Give us vision. Help us to be more like a Daniel, a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the days we live in this Babylonian world that we're living in right now. Give us that same boldness, that same vision and clarity. May we bring more answers to the table than we bring questions. Um, Lord, all of these things, we wanna follow you and follow your word. So give us strength, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.